This is Sean Brisley. This is Dragon Heart. Well, yes, welcome to this week's Dragon Heart. We were hoping to have both Bill and Che Long here today, but to cut a long story short, Che can't join us. See <laughs> what I did there? That was pretty good. And by my standards, it was really good. But luckily, Bill is still here. So, hi, Bill. Good for you to join us. Hi, thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, always a pleasure to be involved in Dragonheart for the second time. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Oh, don't worry, we'll put you off it. <laughs> I mean, there's not much going on at the moment at the race course, although we had some interesting news break this week uh, that the Orangus has had a contract extension. And, well, it's, 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 it's interesting to see that he's going to be staying a bit longer with us, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean... Um... There's been an interesting reaction to the the signing online. I think uh, it's so in some quarters it's it's uh, slightly unfair. I think transfer uh, seasons are a bit of a difficult one for clubs in the modern age, aren't they? I think uh, with with the likes of a FIFA career mode and football manager, people expect things to be done really quickly, and uh, especially when you've got COVID situations going on, and clubs are now fearing that fringe players that they really don't want at the club are actually going to become valuable. Um, it puts clubs like ours that are waiting for that domino effect at the top to, to mm. allow their players to go. So we're probably in a similar situation. And I think actually, in fairness, Dior's got a lot to offer. He's played 26 games for us and scored seven goals. That's not a bad return considering he's not an out-and-out -out striker. He can play on the wing. He can play that, that link-up sort of role. And, uh, yeah, he, like Parkinson said today, he's had injuries and illnesses, so we've got to give him a chance to get up to full fitness and, and prove his worth. Well, exactly. But you, you raised an important point, I think. I think there has been some negative reaction, not, not thing to Angus himself, but to the fact that, like you say, that there's a, an assumption perhaps that we must be struggling to get our transfer targets if we are renewing the contract of an existing striker. Um, and as you say, there are reasons why that could be the case, but I don't think this does prove that. Um, I think in a way, the fans are worried because the club did some good PR. You know, fans were saying, have we got players lined up? Do we know who we'll go for? I think inevitably any well-run club does do that and has done that and does it constantly throughout the season. So you, you know full well who your targets are. But that doesn't mean you can land them straight away. And the club, I think, did the right thing in allaying those fears. Sean Harvey said on Dragonheart that, yes, we, we know players we're going after and we will be able to try and get that moving early January. And I think that was the right thing to do because it was honest, and it let people understand how we're operating on a professional level. But the downside, maybe, in a way, is now people are panicking, thinking, well, hang on, but the transfer window's, you know, it's, it's what, two weeks old, and we're not moving quickly. So something's gone wrong. I don't think that's the case. Like you said, it takes two to tango. You've, you've got to get the deal done. You can't, you can't just swoop and take players because we've said we're not paying silly prices. Uh, I, I can't help thinking it's just that, we were always going to have to wait till the end of the the transfer window because those clubs, who, as you said, maybe are hanging on to players that they're scared now of letting go because they want to complete the season and they're worried about COVID. They'll still have to listen to a good offer because the other effect of COVID is financial. And, you know, Mullen, Toza, <laughs> their clubs did not want to let them go. But ultimately, we made a good offer, not a crazy offer, but a really good offer and they had to accept, yeah, okay. So I think that, again, we'll get deals done more at the end of January, even if you know who we want right now. It's, it's my interpretation of it. And, and I think as well that, you know, the the situation with the club is that there's going to be a lot of clubs at the moment that are playing brinkmanship. They're going to see yeah. if they can get an extra couple of thousand or shave a couple of thousand off a, off a, a, a transfer. Mm. We're in a really healthy position in that we've got, fixture this weekend that we don't need any new players for and we've had a couple of weeks where we haven't needed any new players in the building so perhaps they've looked at it and thought well we can afford to wait and see these clubs uh, actually eventually bite um, you know it, it's a situation where I think patience really does uh, pay off in, in, in the fact that 
you want to make these clubs sweat. They might we might have sent out a, a, a bit of. I mean, I've got no absolutely no intel, but we might have sent a bit of interest over to a club, mm. and then said, "Oh, right, actually, we might wait. We've got other targets." And you know, you say that to, to a manager who then wants to get his own players in. Uh, you could shave a ten grand off a, off a transfer. So I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm playing mm. football manager myself a little bit there, and it, there's not a, there's not much in it. But I think it's going to be. You know, recent years we've seen a lot of quiet January transfer windows compared to the Rubinho days going to Man City, but. This time, I think transfer deadline day across the footballing pyramid is going to be interesting. I don't think you're being naive at all. I'd be astonished if we haven't done exactly that. Um, it's just like you say, it's a negotiation. It's a dance. Yeah. Um, and it's something which isn't easy to do. Uh, and no, no question. That's why the club have consistently said, again, Sean Harvey on, on this show, uh, that we are not going to be paying silly prices because we the all those other clubs will be thinking that we will. And if we make a good market value bid for a player, they'll think, okay, well, we'll hold on a bit then because they've got loads of money. Yeah. And they are right. You know, we, 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 to be honest, at the moment, we could pay silly prices for players. We shouldn't, but we could. So I understand why teams are trying that on a bit. Um, but I think it was always inevitably going to be near the end of the window where we got most of the deals done. And it's no coincidence that the four big deals we got from players who were regularly playing at higher levels than us the last, were the last four deals of the summer window. It was it was harder to land those sorts of players. Yeah. And, and you know, I think on, on a, another point of view as well, in terms of transfers, you, you're now potentially convincing players to uproot their entire family during a global pandemic. Okay, we might not be in the same situation that we were last May or the May before or whatever, but... It, there's a lot of uncertainty going around and, and players might not want to move their family to different schools in a different area without a little bit of, of extra convincing. So I think people, I can understand the frustration. I'd be lying if I didn't say I was a little bit frustrated myself at times, but we've just got to have a bit of patience. If we're, if we're having uh, this kind of conversation on February the 1st or whenever the deadline finishes, then, then yeah. maybe you've got a bit more right to, to be frustrated. Yeah, exactly. And if we look at those, I suppose, reasons for frustration, because, you know, to be fair, I think they should be addressed and, and there's there's legitimate logic behind it, even if it's not actually what's really happening. Um, I mean, that concern that we're not going to add more strikers when we got Kwame Thomas added in, for example. I mean, on current season, you'd probably say that Ponticelli's ahead of Angus in the pecking order. He's not scored all that many, although he's, he's got three. But he's been getting game time and has been playing well. And also that Kwame Thomas pleasingly looks sharp since he's come back. Mm. And so you might argue that you know both of them are above Angus in the pecking order. But like you said, Angus, to be fair, has been affected. Uh, he's not been available for a lot of those games. He's not been quite right for a lot of those games. And he has had some good games at the start of the season, especially when he played 4-2-3-1. And he was in his own up front. He made he had good movement, making the space for Mullen, breaking in behind. Uh, you know, he had some good games, but that was when the injuries and illness kicked in. Yeah. And, and you, you know, it's, it's a one-year extension. So even if you were to look at it, like you don't really want Angus to be here, which I, I personally do. I think it's, it's a good thing that we've given him an extra year on his contract. It's not our money anymore. We're not owned by the trust. It's not you putting the pounds in that's going to make a huge difference. We're making, we've got TikTok deals. We've got all this going on. We don't really need to worry too much about the pennies. If Phil Parkinson thinks he can do a job for another year, great. Let's, let's sign him up. And also, you know, surely inevitably part of the plan is we'll have a more depth to our squad. We have more money to spend. We have more depth to our squad. You know, you look at reserve, not having a reserve team, for example. Well, if, we were going yeah. to try and do something like that. We need more players. I don't mean we have an overstuffed, bloated squad. Referring back to what you said about football manager, it's it's very hard to resist once you get a bit of money in football manager to not have a forty-man squad that then drives you to extinction. But like something in the NFL, an attack team and a, uh, yeah. a defending team. <laughs> right, yeah. They, um, but having said that, it does make sense to to develop the depth in the squad. Angus is a good striker. Who's scored plenty of goals? Who's played in the football league? Um, I, I think he's more of a squad member, frankly, than a first choice striker. 
but is he a bad bloke to have around? I mean, let's be honest, when Dean Keats brought him in, a lot of National League teams were saying, oh, look at that, they brought in Diorangas. Oh, he's a good striker. You know, mm. I mean, he, he, just because we brought in the likes of Paul Mullen doesn't mean he's not a good striker. It's just he hasn't got the continuity really this year, has he? No, agreed. And, you know, we, all, we will all be saying this at the end of the season if he provides the uh, the winning goal to get us up, will we? So let's just see how he does and, and <laughs> hopefully it's it's not the end of the world keeping a player who's used to the club at the club. Absolutely. That's, uh, it's not the reason to panic, I think, that everybody's talking about, is it? Um, well, no. we'll take a break in a moment. And after that, we'll hear from Russell Penn, a really interesting character and a bit of an exclusive for us, of course, an ex-Rexham player who, although he was only with us about three months, made a big impression on the club. He speaks fascinatingly about the circumstances surrounding him leaving Wrexham, but also, like I say, a bit of a scoop because he's the man in the headlines now. He's the manager as well at the moment of Kidderminster Harriers. He's a club legend there, and he, he further embellished that last Saturday because they knocked Reading out of the FA Cup. They got West Ham in the next round. He's the man of the moment. And so after the break, we'll hear from Russell Penn. This is Wrexham's Heartbeat. This is Callon FM. Well, Russell, thank you so much for joining us. And it would be crazy if I didn't start off by saying congratulations, because that win last weekend, that was that was fantastic, that was. No, thanks, Mark. And thanks for having me on, mate. Um, do you know what? Of First and foremost, I have more media output with Wrexham fans and Wrexham reporters than, than any other club I've been at and I was only there for three to four months. Uh, I think it just shows the magnitude of the football club to be honest. Um, going away from that, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, crazy weekend to be honest. Um, bit surreal. I, I honestly don't think it's sunk in yet. Yeah. Um, but ask me that in three weeks time when we've got West Ham at home. <laughs> and I've got to say, you've You've taken that uh, giant killing tradition well from Wrexham. You know how to do it properly. Let them go ahead first, build up the tension, and then bang, bang, a couple of late ones. I mean, that's how you do an upset, isn't it? Brilliant, that was. Yeah, it was. Um, listen, I think it was a great time to play Reading, a club in a bit of disarray at the moment, on and off the field. Um, they rested a couple of big players, your Andy Carrolls and your Scott Dans, Junior Hoylets, and we thought, you know what, let's stay in the game and see where it takes us. And uh, as the game went on, we got stronger and stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what Agbara Soup does for you. Although it doesn't exist anymore, does it? So I shouldn't say it doesn't that. exist anymore. No, but it's, um, you know, this, this plug for the caterers, there's some good food there now. Oh, oh brilliant. So I must, I must tell you, just my, my one big brag, is that I completed the Ironman Challenge at a Wrexham game at Kidderminster once of both the Agborough Soup and the Agborough Pie. I've never felt more alive, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> or more Brilliant. heavy. <laughs> Brilliant. The, um, I, 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 and then I can say West Ham to come. I, I, I mean, it must be great for you. I mean, you got a lot of experience in the game. But it's still fairly early days as a manager, and and to have that opportunity to be to be looking at a club like that, planning a game against a club like that, having lots more info and data about an opponent in a way to to look at, that must be a really pleasing challenge. It's so exciting. Yeah, the thing for us, Mark, we've got six league games in the meantime in three weeks, so you know our eyes are firmly on the league. Yeah. But what 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 a tie to you know, look forward to in three weeks' time. It's funny because I try to get to a couple of games every week and I ask the secretary, oh, can you get me a game at Kettering and Alfreton? We're going to West Ham Leeds on Sunday, which is just <laughs> brilliant. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it is surreal. Oh, that is absolutely fantastic. Well, we, we'll be keeping an eye out for you. Wrexham fans have got a bit of a soft spot for Gidderminster. Uh, born out of rivalry. And um, so, yeah, we'll be... Why is that, Mark? Because a lot of people say that. Why is that? I think... I, I'm not 100... I, I, I think there's... It's close enough for it to feel like a local game. Yes. Yeah, but it's not, it's not nasty. Yeah. So, you know, when we play Chester or Shrewsbury or Tranmere, it can be really unpleasant. But Kidderminster feels a bit more like... It, it, it's got an atmosphere... Especially going to Kidderminster. If I'm honest with you, 
I think Kidderminster coming to Wrexham. But we, well, we've had some big games, like with the playoff semi-final, so that felt massive. Um, but it's more. I think it's. I think. I think a lot of it is. The, it's a good day out. Yeah, and I yeah. think that affects fans' ideas of a fixture and a team. Then Kidderminster have always against us played good football. Yeah. Um, and, and that so tends to lead to good games. Weird stuff happens when we play you, like um, the ghost goal. goal. The yeah, hole in the goal. That's it. Yeah. So you know, weird stuff like that. I, I do also think, and, I, and I'm going to get a bit sad now, so I apologise. But you know, there's more to football than just the game for the fans. And I think the whole thing, like you know, the Agbara soup, things like that, an awful yeah. lot of. Football league clubs, lower division football league clubs, they've got n- nice new grounds that look exactly the same as all the other nice little new grounds and there's no real character. And then you go to the National League and don't get me wrong, Wrexham have been there too long and we want to get out, but it has been a real pleasure going to actual proper sort of community-based clubs who do things their way. So, I mean, as you can see from the state of me, the food is really good in away games in the National League. It's not all half-frozen curry pies. It's the same everywhere, you know. I, I mean, Kidderminster was always the very best, but there's it's all those little, those nice little local things that you don't see so much in clubs that maybe see themselves as slightly bigger, but actually, in many ways, offer less to the fan when you go to see them. Yeah, for sure. There's also a lot of good players and good people who played for both as well. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know the big man Mark Crichton, who I speak to regularly. Martin Riley, um, Keatsy, you know, yeah. they, they, I could name loads. Um, so, you know, it's there is a little toy there, isn't there? It's exactly right. I mean, as well, I mean, last week, actually, I had on as a guest uh, Josh Cowling, who, of course, a great player for yeah. Kidderminster. Um, partly because, again, Wrexham fans always remembered him as playing well against us. And I just thought it'd be quite interesting to talk about him, both from a sort of young manager point of view, but also from a... Um, you know that he's he's a player people notice they'd always say oh buy him we need to buy him every time there's a big game plus he played in the, the ghost goal game and things like that so we could we could have a laugh about that but, uh, <laughs> but you, you're saying about the link and uh, thank you for doing my linking for me as well it's very nice um, of course Mark Carrington is, is with you now I mean that's a, that's a cracking sign in that I've got to say well I spoke to Cara in the summer a couple of times it helps it helped big time that I played with him at Wrexham. We had a really good uh, relationship, even though I was only there for three months. But he's a good man. And first and foremost, we signed good people here. And um, he was one that jumped out the out the box. I thought, right, if I can get one year out of him, fantastic. Bloody hell, he's, I think he's got three more years in the legs, the way he's playing. Um, he's been unbelievable for us this season. Um, I think he's really jumped on board on what we're doing. Um he hasn't been bitter about the whole Wrexham situation. He did his time there and, and now he's up for a new challenge. You know, we're not a million miles away from his house. And him and his family have really jumped on board. Oh, unsurprisingly, um, you know, I've got to say, you know, he's a guy who at Wrexham would get involved with the club. His wife's on Twitter as well would be a very positive presence. In some ways, he's unfortunate in that he's so flexible. At Wrexham, I think you know he would be thrown. To sometimes it becomes a negative mark because yeah. you don't really nail down a spot. I've only played him centre mid here, and okay, albeit we're a level below, but he, he's bossed it and he's been fit for every game. He got suspended at the start of the season, got a straight red card, and I thought, oh, here we go, legs are going late with a tackle, but no, he bounced back superbly. And he scored that worldie as well, didn't he? But <laughs> crazy what a worldie! He scored last night as well, Mark, which oh. was great. Beg your pardon. <laughs> Consistent. So, fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, last season, I've got to say, I mean, he was injured for like the first half of the season. And you worried then that, you know, obviously we were going to have a rehaul of the, the squad last summer and he'd have trouble getting a contract. I thought once he came back, though, his fitness was terrific and he was playing as a centre-back, which is certainly not his strongest position and he was impeccable I mean he was bringing the ball out because it was a back three he was perfect obviously but also defensively well Russ I mean the, the main reason I got in touch was of course your time at Wrexham which I thought was really interesting I mean Keatsy had come in as a manager halfway through the season 
Uh, I'm not expecting you to necessarily comment on this, but he inherited a, a, a very weak squad, a genuine lack of um, quality in it, but also of experience at that level. And he did an amazing job of rehauling it because we could easily have gone down. Um, and, and one of the key things it seemed to me that he did was bringing in players with nous and experience like yourself, Faisal McLeod, James Jennings, players who knew the way around who could who yeah. could fix a problem quickly. Um, and, and you were a key part of that. No, thanks very much. I think um, I had, uh, I was... I was a Carlisle player originally and I had a chat with Keith Curl on the on the morning and he went, look, we're going to look to get you on loan to play games. And I said, look, I'm 31 now. I need to play football. I said, we've had interest from uh, Gateshead because I was on loan at Gateshead three months prior, wasn't I? Yeah. I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll extend Gateshead. Um, but then Dean Keats, who I didn't know personally, but obviously knew of him big time, respectfully. He rang me and said, do you want to come to Wrexham? And I thought, oh, game changer straight away. I thought, right, OK. Logistically, he wasn't very good. Living at the time. He just said, we've got accommodation. We can sort you out to the end of the season. Uh, let's do it. And he wasn't alone. I cancelled my contract at Carlisle, got a pay up. And Wrexham um, offered me my services till the end of the season. And I just jumped at it, Mark. And it was the best thing I did. I haven't got a lot of regrets in football. My biggest regret was not signing on at the end of the season for another year or two. But for family situations, which we'll go over after, um, it just couldn't be possible. Um, But really, really, really enjoyed my time. In terms of recruiting, yes, I know what mess they were in. And yeah, like you said, me, Jennings, Ollie Shenton as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matumba Masanka who come in, a bit of energy. Um, I thought the squad... For the end of the season was a nice tight knit squad. Rooney we had for a couple of months before he went to Geisy, which was really weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anthony Barry, Isaac McLeod. So really enjoyed British Tilt and Martin Riley. It was great. Yeah, by the end of that season, it pulled together really nicely, hadn't it? And the, the mess it was before you guys came in, it was really hard to to believe we'd made such a big transition that season. And and he built well on it in that summer too. Um, I always went one of your early matches was one of the most scandalous refereeing decisions I've seen uh, in a Wrexham game in a National League, and that's saying something, was um, they gave a penalty against you at Chester, which I thought was oh. an absolute disgrace. The guy just yeah, ran into yeah. you. I mean, it was a... Uh, I, was, I remember a fantastic atmosphere in that game, and, and the team, we looked, I thought, comfortable in that game, and that decision just robbed us. It was astonishing. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember. I remember um, who told me now? I think Andy, Andy, the assistant manager, said, "Look, you yeah. played in local derbies, but you won't ever get anything like this." And uh, what an atmosphere! We took the lead, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I was chasing back James Allaby, I think. Yeah, and he fell over. We can't pay for that, but because the you know the emotion of the game, I think the ref jumped at it, yeah. and we drew the game one-one, didn't we? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Got nasty as a punch-up at the end and everything. A proper derby. Proper Wrexham. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind punch-ups, mate. That's fine by me. I don't <laughs> mind. Really. Um, and, and there were other... This uh, was, in a way, the other memorable game, I remember, was going down to York and winning, which was obviously Wrexham's old manager, Gary Mills, was there. And young lads like Leo Smith scoring in that match. And again, the, the big, you know... We're down the bottom of the National League. But I remember the, the away support we had in games like that at York was was... Unbelievable going to the game, you know, the amount of people on the trains, the amount of people in the city, you know, it must be, you know, good to see that when the club's got its back against the wall, but still that sort of passion is there. Yeah, I think that game is bittersweet for me because obviously I, I was at York four years prior to that season. And I had a great time. I was living there and we lived there for six years. So I had a lot of friends all sitting in the Wrexham end from York. Um, and I, I think that concreted my desire to stay at Wrexham after that game. The fans, the performance we put in. I knew what Keatsy was going to do the year after because he told me privately that you know he was only going to keep a couple on and we were going to recruit really well, um, which he did, by the way. Without me, I went to Gateshead, but he recruited really well. Yamani Smiths and, and all those players. And I thought, right, this is for me now. Love the club. Um, had a, they, they took an instant liking to me um, and vice versa. And I was really happy. The, um, 
and I, but at the end of the season, of course, you you did move on, which um, like as you just saying before, was a, a, a very difficult decision. Yeah, it was. We, you know, we we played Solihull on the Saturday. Um, do you remember away and we took a yeah. good crowd? And um, my father-in-law took his own life on the, the oh. night before. And my missus is obviously, listen up, she's open about it now, so she doesn't mind me telling people because it's, it's out there. But she was on her own in York with the kids and there was a month left of the season and it was just up and down and it just wasn't the right time. I told Keatsy, Keatsy was absolutely fantastic, by the way, mm. for the next couple of weeks. Um, and it just fell at the wrong time, which looking back now, it shouldn't have really changed my decision. And my wife said it shouldn't have changed the decision, but it naturally did. Um, because I had to be around everybody. The family was up and down from Birmingham to York to Wrexham. And so I just wanted to make it easier for everybody. That was the reason. I regret it. Um, but it, listen, it is what it is. You can only make decisions at the time. And goodness yeah. me, that's, that's an admirable reason to make that decision as well, to be fair to you. So I think people sometimes forget that football players are people in a way, you know, yes. it's almost like everybody in their heads playing football manager and they're not real people they're handling almost, you know, but uh, no, that, that, that's totally understandable, of course. Uh, that, that next season, we were strong and, and, you know, Dean left near the end of the season when we were in a very a good position, but he's, it doesn't surprise me to hear you speaking highly of him uh, because he came back in and did another good job a year later. Um, he's a real... Uh, something I like about him, he's a, he's a proper sort of football man in the sense. I think he speaks the language of football and other players really respect him, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I know I know we made decisions in, in, in the year and, and, and some people weren't happy with it and jumping ship and whatever, but you've got to do what you've got to do. Manage, yeah. Managers, there's only one of them at the football club. And you've got to do what's right for yourself first and your family. Um, and you can only reflect on it when it's all gone. Yeah. And you're going with and you think, right, okay, like I've just said there, I've regretted not signing for Wrexham, but I only realised that probably three or four years down the line. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's one of them situations. I thought when I left and I signed for Gates said, I signed for Gates said knowing Manny Manny Smith was there, and then he went he went the other way within a day, and I was gutted. <laughs> I went, Manny, what are you doing? I've just signed. I'm going back to Wrexham, and then you were signing good player after good mm. player, and I thought, bloody hell, this is some squad here. I should yeah. I should have could have been a part of this. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, it, it is what it was, what it was, and um, the rest is history. I always remember Manny going back that season. No. I- was that a season? It would have been... Oh, no, I beg your pardon. I, I'm just talking absolute rubbish. I remember Manny playing at Gateshead and getting a broom to tidy up the changing room afterwards. I'd never seen a professional do that. Usually, as you know better than me, changing rooms are like war zones after a match, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And he was there yeah, with yeah. a broom cleaning up. So, so. No, <laughs> Manny, Manny, Manny's a lad I always speak to still. You know, he's from up the road by me in Birmingham. Um you know, we know a lot of um, neutral friends. And he's living the life in France now, isn't he? So, oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, li- he lives in a little village outside Paris now with his wife and two children. Um, and he's loving life. I'll have to get in touch with him to practice my French on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, it was, uh, it was, a, I mean, it, it's obviously a cl- the club's made an impression on you as well. You must be pleased to see this investment coming into the club now, which does seem phenomenal. And, and I'm a cynic. I, I worry about the wrong people buying a club. I, I was dead set against us going out of fan ownership until I saw exactly the calibre of the people and what their intentions were. I got no worries about their intentions at all. Uh, it must be nice to see us getting a bit of cash and a bit of fantasy, if you like, brought into the club. Yeah, I think if there's any club that I'd wish it for, it was Wrexham. I think you've gone through some real tough times. Um, and it's always got to be tough with the way it's been owned in the past year, few years because it is a massive club. Everyone, you know, always jumps on the history of Wrexham. But it is what it is. It's history for a reason. It's it's mm. gone. It's done. And you want to bring the good times back. But you know what, as well, you're in a league now when there's bloody four other clubs doing the same thing, yeah. near enough. Right? <laughs> and it's 
again, they all want the same, and um, it doesn't make it any easier. And I just hope Wrexham at the top of the park come the end of the season. Yeah. Oh well, well, that, well, you and me both believe you, me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is I do tough. believe, Mark. If you if you do make the one step, yeah. you, you will go again yeah. and again because you've got the infrastructure. You won't come back down. And you know, if Salford can do it through the leagues with what they've got, Wrexham's ten times that. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, the, the trust owners felt that that the difficulty was getting out of national league, even though obviously they had much more tighter budgets to work with. They felt that once they got through the national league, their budget would allow them to bounce up the higher and higher. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a time of optimism. I've got to ask you before I let you go in a moment, but before I do, I've got to ask you: you played one of the weirdest Wrexham games. I think um, the four-three at Bromley, right at the end of your time with us where yeah. we have to sub a player Ollie Marks because of sunstroke which I've never seen before <laughs> where, where we've got Tumba Masanka coming off the bench and scoring a couple of goals by the way he did the same the next season and so his yeah. career record is basically across his whole career he scored about 12 goals at a rate of about one goal every 12 matches but against Bromley he scored four goals at a rate of one every five minutes. He's unbelievable. Somehow we managed to yeah. like go miles behind, bring it back and still lose it. And just to rub it all in, uh, Bromley had a trainee cameraman who forget to, forgot to press record, believe it or not. So he stood there following the ball, f- thinking he was filming the whole match and he'd filmed nothing. Um, I mean, I just, I just love that football from a fan's point of view. A game like that is a dream come true, it's just crazy in every element. When you're playing, do you sort of think, What the hell is going on here? <laughs> what the, you, know? oh God, you, you have many of them occasions, mate, and you yeah. think, God, no one would believe what I'm going to tell them tonight, and they don't, and they don't believe you. Yeah, yeah, that's why you know, football is such a unique sport. What goes in the changing room stays in the changing rooms because no one understands, honestly. Mm. Um, even fans sometimes, you know, they would never believe what would happen inside on the pitch in the changing room, what's really said. Yeah. Um, but you, you've just reminded me of that game. I, I, I do remember. Because I remember the big centre-forward, Jordan. I don't know his surname. He went to Scotland. Oh, Jordan White. Jordan White. He yeah, played yeah. centre-half for the last five games. <laughs> because we were, we were reshuffling everything. And, and Keatsy just wanted to get to the end of the season without being humiliated. We have been players leaving left, right, centre. People wanted to know about the contracts. Keatsy was saying, no, we're not signing you up. So people weren't playing. So we were really a makeshift squad coming into the season. I think coming into the season, he only wanted to keep me and uh, Dunny, the goalkeeper. Um, I know I know, we re-signed James Jennings, but it was literally me and Dunny. Curtis Tilt was going into the league mm. uh, with, who did he sign for now? Morris Green. Um, Morris Green. Rooney obviously left and then everybody else he released. Yeah, it was a, it was it was a it was a game that fitted the craziness of the situation, wasn't it? Really, but, uh, but I think what Dean was doing was organised chaos. Um, on that pitch, it was disorganised yeah, chaos. <laughs> and you know what? It's a tough time to be a manager in them situations oh, yeah. Yeah. because the players at the back of their mind know they're probably not going to be here next season, but you still want to put in performance. Keatsy can't say what he's going to do, but he knows everybody knows. Yeah. And it was tough. And I remember him having a couple of conversations with me saying, this is where we're going. And I had to keep my mouth shut as well. And yeah. It wasn't nice, really, the last month. But you've got to do that sometimes to kind of have an overhaul of the club. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to be fair, he did it extremely well. The way they were set up by the next season was great. Um, well, yeah. honestly, Russ, I'll, I'll let you get on with your day. I've got to say... Firstly, it's an, it's an honour and a pleasure to speak to you. You all, in that short time, you were one of my favourite players of Wrexham because it's your smartness <laughs> on the ball, your awareness of what was required and, and the way that you and other players, but you epitomised it, brought professionalism and what Dean wanted into the team was crucial. Um, and also, uh, I, I just want to say the best of luck against West Ham. Look, we've beaten West Ham. They're nothing. You'll be fine. I know you're right. right. It's almost a buy. Thing? Yeah. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. I think even though I enjoyed my time at Wrexham, it ended my career there because when I went on the first day and Keatsy showed me around the place, he went, right, we're going to play a two-man midfield, you and Anthony Barry. I said, yeah, fine, that's great. He showed me around the pitch, the biggest pitch <laughs> I've played on. 
in a two-man midfield. <laughs> and every home game I was dreaded because I was doing about 13k. I was I was 32. <laughs> and it comes to the summer, my legs were just shot. And I just thought, this is ending me, this has. <laughs> yeah. But no, all good, mate. <laughs> you should have had a nice, cosy sitting job. Play a free, and you can just sit right. behind them. And exactly. I wanted a four man midfield, never mind a two. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> oh well, honestly, it's been a, it's been a privilege talking to you. It genuinely has, was well, so honestly you, you're fantastic. And Thanks, give, give West Ham one from us, okay? I will do, mate. And listen, Brilliant. mate, we'll keep in touch. Smashing. We'll do well. You know. All right, then, Mark. Before Thanks. the before the semi final, we'll have to catch up again. You know. Hey, I like it. I like it. Yeah, good man. Good man. Wish you all the best for the season, Mark. Oh, thanks very much. Cheers, Russell. Thanks. I'm Liam McClendon and this is Dragonheart. Yeah, so Russell Penn, um, an absolute pleasure to get in touch with. Lovely bloke. Um, and a crucial player for Wrexham. If, if he and other experienced players hadn't come in to rescue that season, a series of really astute signings by Dean Keats, we could have dropped down easily to the National League North. Um, we mustn't forget that. That Gary Mills squad at the start of the season. Oh, it, it, it stank the place out pretty badly, to be honest, Bill, didn't it? It, it did, yeah. I remember going to a, a pre-season friendly with my mate uh, Ryan Hayes. Shout out, Ryan, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> in Hyde. And uh, I don't tend to go to... I don't, I've not been to many pre-season away friendlies, but we, I was, we were so intrigued by that particular squad because it could do, it could have gone either way. It was like, oh, there's all these names. You know, Gary Mills signed a lot of good players the season before. Yeah, Sean Newton was half decent. Don Vos, uh, Adriano Moak, a few other players in the squad. And you thought, maybe he's unearthed a couple of gems there. And I think he'd unearthed a couple of um, pieces of coal instead of gems, didn't he, really? Yes. <laughs> Although Cole did have use, and I'm not sure some of those players, if I'm, if I'm not pulling punches, have as much use as uh, a lit fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true, actually. Yeah, and um, he'd, he'd unearthed some corporalites, archaeology fans, as a, <laughs> as a fossilized dinosaur poo for you. Um, that's that's a that's a lovely crossover Wrexham and archaeology fans. Uh, yeah, the, the Venn diagram for that must be quite small, mustn't it? <laughs> yeah, you'd think so, but um, absolutely, yeah, you would think so, absolutely. <laughs> it's, a, it's more of a Lyme Regis Villa thing, that isn't it? Um, I, I mean, yes, I mean that's exactly right uh, because we we brought. It just made no sense. I remember the same as you watching pre-season friendlies and just thinking, what is this? We brought in lots of lower division players who'd never played at our level. And don't get me wrong. I mean, Carl Connolly was that. Lee Trundle was that. So I'm not saying you can't go down and find a gem, as you put it. You absolutely can. But a punt like that is is fine. But when your whole squad pretty much consists of that, you're either an absolutely golden manager or something's gone hideously wrong, and it was the latter. <laughs> I mean... And I, I think as well, like, you know, I wonder if any of those players that were in that team w- would have actually gone on to have done something if they'd have been surrounded by experienced players. Yeah. I'm not saying, you know, they clearly weren't destined for the Premier League, but there's players that maybe could have done a job that ultimately... Yeah. Didn't do a very good job, did they? <laughs> Absolutely right. It, it was the it was the amalgamation of all those punts, if you like, rather than there were no safe bets or hardly any. Um, e- even the sort of players who on paper were good, Anthony Barry had had some fitness issues uh, and was getting a bit older. Good player, but wasn't the player he was when we first signed him. If you remember when we signed yeah. him and then he yeah. left straight away. Um, Rooney. Had actually had a trial with Wrexham and not been taken up years previously. And <clears throat> I, I think Rooney's a very, very good player, but I think you have to use him in the correct way. And I'm not sure we did until Keats came in. And and then, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's a different... It's a fascinating subject, that, actually. Players who, in different circumstances, would have succeeded. When you see, like... The team had dropped out of the football league. Some of those players didn't get much of a chance to show what they could do. And when they did, it was alongside players who weren't much good. 
And you think, what if they'd been in a strong side? And I think, right, okay, there's an. Ill- <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a fool of myself now. I think there's an interesting illustration of that. I remember, and oh, watching Wrexham playing Solly Hull first home game of that season. We scrape a one 0 win because Mark Carrington, one of the good players, scores at the very last minute. We bring Naughty Naughty on, and I had my doubts looking at him pre-season, and he was awful, and he continued to be awful. And I declared that I felt he was the worst player I'd ever seen play for Wrexham. Now, I'm not stepping back from that because his performances for us really were sub-professional football standard in my eyes. However, he went on to have a very good National League career. And again, you know, you just think the reason he did well, I mean, you know, in in the bottom half of the table, but the reason he did well because he was playing for teams that suited his style i.e. he was quite physical, he wasn't very skillful, but he could do a job of work. So he, he played for long ball teams, or at Dover, most notably. He played for a team that gave him very clear instructions. They played man-to-man marking, which, you know, the extent to which they did that was really rare in modern football. Um, but I guess you're giving them a very simple instruction. You're, you are a destroyer. There's their good midfielder. Stay with him. Mm. Fight with him. End of. Ball comes near him. You're by him. You fight him for the ball. And he did a very good job for them in that limited way. So, you know, smart use of players, because you often felt that season there wasn't much of a game plan. And we chopped and changed formations and approaches as we did this previous season. You know, maybe players would have had a better chance. I don't think Naughty Naughty could have got any higher. But say Jordan Weiss, who obviously was very ill and was unlucky, but he finished the season scoring goals. Um, you know, players like that may well have you know had something about them. Yeah, perhaps that's something for another pod, Mark. The uh, yeah. what could have been eleven? Oh yes. Oh, we got next week's sources. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, mean, I mean, that... sorry, the, the the it was it was a weird time, wasn't it? And I think that season kind of. Uh, changes a lot of people's perception of Gary Mills. Yeah. The first and second season were chalk and cheese. I mean, okay, we did the first season wasn't successful because we didn't get into the playoffs ultimately. But I remember we played Cheltenham in that first season and we we absolutely battered them across the pitch. And you know, they ended up going up that year and we played nice football with good players. Uh, but that second season, everybody remembers Gary Mills as being an absolutely awful manager for X and purely off how bad that second season was for him. And I, I, I think the first season gave all the clues as well, though, in that... Yeah, no no doubt, but you think played, if, if he'd have say, been sacked at the end of that season, people might have looked back and thought, oh, you know, he oh, could have could have done a job if he'd have stayed. Didn't have the catastrophe. You know, that, the second season was a genuine catastrophe, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Absolutely. That first season started so well, and like you said before, we recruited for that season so well. We just had so many quality players and we were adding them to the likes of Connor Jennings. Um, and you just thought, right, we're, we're laughing here. Mm. But w- once a couple of teams found us out, and I don't know well, how, no, no, I'm going to rephrase that. I think we had two games in a week away at Cheltenham and Lincoln. And they both played quite physical long ball games with big strikers, Danny Wright, Matt, Matt Reed, And we lost at Cheltenham and we drew at Lincoln. We were a bit lucky to draw at Lincoln. Um, and I, I felt that it was after that that we stopped moving the ball around so nicely. Yeah. It was a, like a sort of reaction of, oh, teams can rough us up. Okay, then. we'll ch-. And we changed to the point where we ended up having Mark Beck up front, genuine route one, heading it on for Caden Jackson, a player... Gary Mills desperately tried to offload soon after he bought him and ended up moving to the Football League because actually he was a good player, which again raises a lot of questions. But those two games, it was a massive overreaction. We played beautifully up to that point. We were well up at the top of the table. The Cheltenham game we lost, but we were robbed. We were winning 1-0. Cheltenham handled the ball on the line. The referees somehow missed it. It would have been a red card, a penalty to us, 2-0 up against 10 men. We'd have won that game. 
Um, that was a little got... typical Wrexham on BT special, wasn't it? Yes, that's right, yeah. And then we <laughs> yeah. got done through a long ball, a quarter defence house and a, a wonder goal. So, to me, that's not something to press the panic button over. We played well in that game and should have won it. The Lincoln mm. game, yeah, Lincoln a long ball and we didn't cope well with it, but we still got a point out of it. We fought back well enough. So, again, all right, we might have someone to tinker with, but you'd have to press the panic button. Um, but he did. And I think that willingness to just change it, we made you, it was like a sort of the Emperor's New Clothes where they, Gates said, played such beautiful football under him. It was so exciting to think we've got the non league Guardiola coming to us. <laughs> but then it turned out yeah. he must have just told him to go out there and play, lads, because he didn't have a philosophy. He didn't have an approach. And he would change. I mean, if you're going to recruit a team that plays tiki taka, how the hell do you then justify playing long ball with the same squad? How? <laughs> can't, it can't work. It doesn't work, no. does it? And the fact is, he hadn't recruited to play tiki taka. He just brought in some players. Then in the next time, we brought in some more players. I mean, it, it summed it up for me when, because it's tilt, we signed him, but he was suspended for the first three games of the season. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but he's, Mills said, I'd have, I wanted to play three at the back, but we've only got two centre-backs. But we had no injuries. So if you want to play three at the back, why have you only bought three centre-backs? Mm. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> there was no logic to signing, putting that squad together. And then as well, Jalal and Dunn, two of the best of goalkeepers in the division. We don't need both of them. We're not made of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, either one well, of them is fine. We are now. Oh, yeah, now, now. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but why take a chunk of your wage on two senior goalkeepers? Crazy. Yeah. I believe Don was amenable, and actually it wasn't that bad a deal. But nonetheless, it's, it, there's no... It was, it was scattergun tactics. Approach. And then Keats yeah. comes in, and he did the opposite. He got rid of a lot. Um, he brought in players that were experienced, knew the way around the pitch. Penn was the obvious example of this. James Jennings, Isaac McLeod, who only scored one goal up front, but he just brought a bit of intelligence and nous and know-how up front, and he worked well with other strikers, and a lot of the other strikers said how much they got out of trading with him. You know, the smart signings like that, uh, that, that just brought stability to the team. Uh, yeah. Keats deserves a lot of credit for doing that and saving us, basically. Yeah, and just just uh, you know to think where we'd be now if that if we'd actually gone down that season. Yeah. I mean, the National League North is a is a bottleneck, as Josh Cowling was saying last yeah. week. You know, it's yeah. very hard to get out of that. It's much stronger than the National League South, and it's the same as our league. One team goes up, then it's a playoffs. You could get stuck yeah. in that league like York have. Ooh, blink and neck. McElhenney and Reynolds wouldn't have come in if we's about <laughs> well, maybe they would have done, but they might not have done. Thinking we've got to climb up to the levels just to get in the football league. So we owe Dean Keats, Russell Penn and people like that uh, a vote of thanks for turning around what could have been an absolute disaster. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. And and it it's a it's it's a fun, it's a funny situation when you when you look back. It's, it's hard not to rewrite history, but I don't think yeah. there's too much that we're rewriting there is there with that team because they were that awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It was scary, wasn't it? Really scary. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the way that Keats's first matches are against Stamford and we draw away and lose at home because he hasn't got at that point any chance to change anything around. That was the level of squad he inherited. So, uh, yeah, good job we survived that, I think, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Very much so. Well, let's move back to the present. After this, we'll have a chat about our FA Trophy match. I'm Jake Hyde, and this is Dragonheart. Right, so we actually have some football to watch on Saturday, Bill. That's a bit of a treat, isn't it? It is, yeah. And uh, almost like a bit of a COVID throwback, back to streaming, uh, in the house with a with a couple of beverages, uh, <laughs> it's it, <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be strange, isn't it? After getting used to going back to live football, to I mean, I know you you do the commentary yourself, Mark, but going back to no crowds for you, and then going back to not being there for for the rest of us is going to be a bit of an odd one. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, because I see that Scotland have relaxed some of their restrictions on sport, and hopefully, we will be able to follow suit fairly soon. Um, uh, and I guess we all take a financial hit 
over this. In fact, we might, might do a little bit better. There might be people who are willing to stream it, who are willing to come out on a cold day to watch Folkestone mm. come to Wrexham. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a huge, I mean, it is a huge shame. I, I've got to be honest, I feel guilty. The actual experience of commentating on the games behind closed doors is is good fun. I've said previously to Jay that they, you watch them on TV, games behind closed doors, and they you feel detached from it, don't you, somehow? It's not quite the right. Whereas actually in the ground, it's a lot better than you might think because there is atmosphere because the players, the non-playing players, the coaches are making noise. Um, so it actually does feel like a proper game. But it's a, just a huge shame people can't come. It's so exciting the way that our club's going. It's just a shame people can't come to watch it. Yeah, definitely. To break the fourth wall a little bit, Mark. What's what's a, do, do you really even notice that there isn't a crowd there when you know when you can hear the noise from the players and the managers and what have you? Especially like in a game like the FA Trophy, where there's not really going to be much chanting going on against Folkestone and Victor. Is there? It's just going to be a bit of a family affair, really, more than an actual uh, full-blooded home match. I mean, to be honest with you, right? Um, you're, I mean, obviously aware that it's behind closed doors, but I mean, to be frank, I've commentated on games with very few people in. I mean, mm. when we were playing in the Welsh Premier Cup, we got some tiny crowds of commentated on mm. reserve games and things like that. So, in, in a way, it doesn't feel completely weird if that makes sense. Plus, I'm thinking yeah. this is the game, you know, which is when I've got my sort of. Um, <laughs> taking this seriously head on. I find friendlies yeah. weirder. Even if there's a big crowd, I find friendlies weirder because I automatically feel there's nothing to be learned from this. Or No, no, that's not totally true. There's nothing riding on this. And some of these players yeah. could be better if it's competitive. So friendlies feel weirder. I don't I like, you know, players do well and you think, well, I, I want to acknowledge that, but I don't want to get too carried away. Um, yeah. But having so, I don't feel that, that I don't find it that weird in a way. And like I said, I mean, well, I mean, to be frank, for an awful lot of lockdown, we had Sean Beers and about five rows, ten rows in front of us. <laughs> Believe me, that was an atmosphere, you know. Yeah. It was quite good actually. They had Keats on the far side and they had Pearson in the Mold Road stand, and it was like having two managers. And Pearson was very, very loud. And there were games like the Eastleigh game when the referee gave a few decisions that didn't help us, shall we say. Um, <laughs> the noise in that ground, uh, in some ways, was better than when you get a sort of slightly flat game with 4,000 people in it. You know, yeah, I can imagine. That, <clears throat> yeah, if I remember, I may be wrong. I think I am wrong. There were some games where Jay Harris was injured as well. And Carrington, I don't think, played in that game. And the referee... He got some, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, this is so, uh, and, and you know, there'd, there'd be like players in front of us. Um, <clears throat> there are some staff members who have to be there. And so they'd actually look at the game. So they'd also create a little bit of atmosphere, even if it was just responding to things happening in the pitch rather than any, no chanting. So you did fill it yeah. up. And because it's a big ground, it echoes around it a bit. So, you know, it actually felt like an atmosphere. It's, I feel bad, like I say, I feel bad saying this. It's enjoyable being there. It's just not enjoyable knowing that there's lots of people who'd like to be there. But at least we're cool. streaming but, it, which is good. Yeah, and as someone who does sit at home, I'd rather the people who could go enjoy it than be there and be yeah, miserable. Yeah, so at least somebody's enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing but, uh, is... It's... Go... Sorry, go on. No, no, God, sorry. It is good we can stream it at least. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we mustn't get too used to that because obviously, when we play away games, they won't be allowed to be streamed. But at least we can stream our home games, and that's that's pleasing. We'll have to put them backwards like this, won't we? Because you can't broadcast between three and five. But at least we can put something out there that's professional quality that people can watch. That's that's pleasing, I think, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's. It weirdly a game like this where it is uh it's going to be not quite reserved it's not going to be a full strength side mm. I, I i think there's there's no reason why that can't be streamed anyway you know even in normal circumstances i think it would be good if these sort of games were able to be televised because like you say a thousand people show up to this match usually but you you give that access to people who i i, I must admit i don't go to all the cup games i go to most of them but not all of them 
my mum doesn't go to any, you know, and she goes to every home game when it's in the league. She just doesn't, it's just a free weekend if there's a cup game, but she might sit at home and watch it. And it's, it's money for both clubs if, they, if there was access to that. I mean, legally, we can't stream between three and five. Um, the National League, I assume, wouldn't allow us to stream under normal circumstances now. No, of course. Yeah. Um, the FA Trophy, though, is a weird one. Um, the, the, the rights to the FA Trophy, if I, I think I'm right in saying, are not terribly clear. You may have noticed that we were able to publish the highlights of the previous round straight away, early as we could, whereas with the league games, you can't until midnight on Monday morning. Um, yeah. So the FA are, are, are a bit more willing to sort of relax over the FA Trophy. Not the FA Cup. The FA Cup, they're very strict on. But the FA yeah. Trophy, they're quite relaxed over. So I that could be something to, to investigate, I suppose. And like you say, it's nice. I like the fact it's 50-50. I like the fact folks are getting something from it. I think that's good. Yeah, definitely, and and it gives an opportunity to some of these clubs to make a little bit of money as well, doesn't it? It's you know, it's just like what we'd be saying if we were if we were going to play a team a league or two above us that you get yeah. that bit of a trickle down economics uh, yeah, coming yeah. in. Yeah, they'll miss out on on the fact that they'll get a cut of what will be a small crowd at the race course, but would still be a crowd. So it's good that we they get that. And I don't want to sound patronising about them because although they are a couple of divisions below us, they are going well, aren't they? Second in the table. Um, third top scorers, they've had a number of heavy wins at home and score. So, you know, to be fair, you know, they're going to come with momentum behind them and, and give us a, a good goal. So, it should be an interesting time, to be honest, to watch on your TV screens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, spe- speaking of uh, teams and people that may be streaming or not streaming in the future, what about our friends down the road? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, what can we say? <laughs> <They're>, um... <clears throat> I, I I must be honest, right? I don't I don't want to seem too gleeful. Mm. It, it's difficult to not find an element of humour in this situation, but most um, hardworking, honest Chester fans who go in week in week out are suffering, uh, just like we're going to be this weekend as well. So mm. I'm not taking if if I do smirk and laugh, I'm not taking too much glee. It's just a bit of a bizarre situation, isn't it? It makes me angry because I, I want to laugh, but I agree the actual, you know, the fans are the ones who are paying the consequence. And it's a fan-run club, um, you know, so obviously anything that's, that affects them is, is a bad thing, I would argue. Um, I, I, I was confused. I, I, Che showed me a, a website that I, I didn't follow it up. Uh, I must admit, so if I'm wrong, I apologise, but talking about them, they, they got a hospitality grant, I think, from Flintshire County Council. That, that... Yeah, so I, I think uh, I could be butchering this. I think he sent me the same thing, but they had a 25 grand uh, hospitality grant because the the their club bar uh, is situated in Wales and they were, it, but it was, I think I've read, Chester fans on Twitter saying it, it was issued by Flintshire County Council, but it was a government grant from the UK that was passed to councils that then passed that on to the... So even if they'd have been in che- in Cheshire, they'd have got it from Cheshire Council, but mm. it does highlight that their ground is in Wales. Uh, and they are aware and, and of that. It, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they are aware of it. So If you're making applications to the Welsh Council, you know, can you have your cake and eat it? That's what I was wondering, but to be fair, like I said, maybe a distributory thing. Of course, when when the government gives money to be distributed by the councils, that does mean that some people are getting, some people not. You know, you could argue someone else in Flinger might have got that, but well, who cares? Not, not, not for not for us to make that decision, is it, Mark? Fortunately, <laughs> it is not. No, absolutely. And as uh, Robert I, I Ryan. So go I've, I have had a bit of a laugh watching the t- some of the Twitter threads going on with uh, people on both sides going back and forth. I mean, you don't want to indulge too much uh, uh, poor behaviour, so to speak, but it has been relatively funny. It's getting me entertained anyway. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And as Robin Ryan said, hopefully we'll never play them again. So, you know, <laughs> it's, all, it's, it's all gravy, as they used to say about five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of gravy, it feels like time for that that mid-Friday evening meal that 
I specialise in. So uh, probably time to wrap things up. Bill, an absolute pleasure, as always, to chat to you about footy. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Dragonheart. <laughs>